No, that wasn't it. Uh, That one was okay. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it uh, podcast. Um, we don't even remember what it's called. What are we anymore? <laughs> uh, podcast about contemporary dance in Edmonton. Yeah. Fonda, yeah. where have we been? Oh, well, we've been all over the place, actually. It was kind of neat to see um, uh, Mile Zero Dance celebrated its 30th anniversary mm-hmm. in town. Uh, so we saw that a few weeks back. But more recently, um, we got to see La Bayadere, or I got to see it. Yes. Uh, La mm-hmm. Bayadere by the Houston Ballet being presented by Alberta Ballet. And uh, Nancy Sandercock and yeah, her... Frost flower slash Arctic death machine. Arctic death machine, should, it was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I should note when I, when I asked you that, I meant literally like, where have we been? Why has it been so long? Although, smooth so long. segue into the content of this episode. I'm a pro, you know. Yeah. We're, we're here to talk about the dance. But where have mm-hmm. we been? We've just been all over. It's, we've been busy. There's yeah. been a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and we haven't, we haven't gotten out to everything, but, but what we have gotten out to has been, uh, has been emeritus of discussion. Yes. Great. So, so where are we going to start? Well, let's. We could start with La Bayadere, I guess. Sure, yeah. Because um, I saw that on Saturday, no Friday, right. uh, and yeah, it's um, you know, a lovely show by the Houston Ballet. La Bayadere is one of the oldest ballets that is kind of still in the roster for okay. um, you know, classical ballet companies, and uh, yeah, so La Bayadere translates into the Temple Dancer, and so it's basically the story of a young Temple Dancer, um, young lady, and she is well, of course, you know. Um, some guy who is not supposed to falls in love with her and ends Classic up ruining her problem. whole life basically yeah. um there are live snakes in the show <laughs> um we well, yeah one of the things that happens in the show is that uh she gets sabotaged basically by another lady in the court because they figure out that this guy who's not supposed to love her loves her and they try and kill her with this snake with snakes she's with sabotaged snake. by yeah. snakes yeah like, being, being snakes. so the snake gets hidden in this basket that she's dancing with and she ends up getting bit on the neck and and yeah then goes to the temple of the shades um which is uh or the kingdom of the shades so the shade the kingdom of the shades is probably the you know, like seminal classical ballet scene. It's the very first time when it was produced back in 1870s. 70s. Yeah, the 70s, <laughs> the 1870s. Yeah, in the 1870s. So when it was produced, it was the first ballet time that ballet used those really sort of like dinner plate tutus mm-hmm. that sit right around the waist. And it's um, tw- it's a scene for 24 dancers that is just, you know, stunning and beautiful and all synchronized. And it's really hard to like not make it look as lovely as it really is. Right. So so as a as a sort of uh, a very old classic ballet, why is the, why does this one sort of survive through the eras and get productions more than 100 years after it was created? What do you what do you see as sort of giving it that lasting appeal? Well, I think that the actual um so the almost the entire third act is this Kingdom of the Shades. Okay. Uh, and it is it is beautiful watching, mm-hmm. you know, these dancers all in white with blue lighting. I mean, 
after after they did La Bayadere and they did the the shades, that's when Giselle got created to be what it is. And Giselle is almost the exact same story. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as yep, Bayadere, in a different right? context. Yeah. And same th- and then Swan Lake as well later on. So you saw this kind of like I think that it's interesting to see it produced still because it was sort of the seed for all of these other classical ballets that kind of stole from it. Great, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so how does it hold up? What sort of stands out about seeing it in, in a modern context for you? One thing that I really liked about it was the costuming. Um, they kind of, so Alberta Ballet and Houston Ballet sort of advertised it as bo- Bollywood meets ballet, but there was nothing really Bollywood about the movement. About the movement, um, okay. It was mostly in the costumes, and it was kind of, what I liked about the costuming um, in particular was the women um, for most of the ballet other than the shade scene are actually in harem pants. Pants. Um, So yeah, so I mean like all the extensions and everything, it makes their legs look more um, curved almost. Like there's sort of a softer feel to it because of the way they're dressed and also um, more nudity on top basically. Okay, wow. Uh, Yeah, so I mean, you know, Houston Ballet, like the company, the female dancers were fantastic. Uh, Yeah, I thought the... The most interesting part was seeing that really different type of costuming because you don't usually get to see like female ballet dancers in pants. And um, it just sort of like it emphasized the way you could see their 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 ribs and the and, um, you know, the movement of the hips and things like it was actually just sort of emphasize the dancer's movement in a different way. Sure. So when when I've seen ballet with you, I feel like a lot of the emphasis is on the legs and Mm -hmm. on the sort of on point steps Mm -hmm. and sort of from from the torso down is a lot of what's emphasized or or leaps. But in terms of the parts of the body, it's it's sort of legs down that are really showcased Mm -hmm. as sort of And that's why those that that's why the dinner plate tutu became such a popular thing Mm -hmm. is so that you could see the full leg. More leg. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. But and so and this sort of changed that. It sort of uh, forced that focus to to a different part of the body. Yeah, more like upper body expression um you know like some very interesting uh, expressive arms and as well a lot of a lot of really quite athletic um and risky lifts in the show which i kind of like like both arms right above the head dancers like full-on you know lifting in ways that i think that you don't often see when they're wearing skirts uh so so i think that was kind of another unique part about it For sure. Um, Yeah, overall, though, I mean, seeing the Houston Ballet come here. Right. um, You know, it's great to see new classical companies and stuff like that. But I do want to kind of point out that I think Alberta Ballet is a pretty great, technically tight company. Okay. So so maybe it may be a little weaker when it came to some of of Houston's... um, uh, take on that? I think I think in terms of the the male dancers, I feel like I don't know. I'm I could be biased. I could be biased. You know, sure. we've been watching Yukichi and like all of our friends in Alberta Ballet right, for right. for a while. You and called them our friends. Our friends. Been, we're not Facebook friends with no, any of we're them. We're not so. really Facebook friends or but, anything like but that. Sure. Yeah. But maybe yeah, we just kind of like have a time to sort of like develop a little bit of audience rapport and you kind of, you know, you know their characters on stage. you get a sense of their personality Mm -hmm. as dancers. Yeah, and I I felt that the male company of Houston Ballet was not as charismatic, and I felt that, I feel that, you know, just like in comparison, watching the actual um, technique that um, Alberta Ballet's company is, you know, very strong, because Houston Ballet is... um, uh, one of the top five companies in, or yeah. the largest They're like five. the fourth largest mm-hmm. company in America. I yeah. Think. They have a mm-hmm. huge facility. They, there is sort of this... Um, this sort of like a connection with the Alberta Ballet where, where we've sent shows down there. And yeah, they've, they've, they've been doing an exchange for yeah. the last couple of years, I think. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, it, it's it's very neat to see an, a different company come through town. And, you know, um, and I think classical ballet, because it's so 
kind of formulaic and classical that, right. that you I, I feel it's easier to compare ballet company to ballet company than it is say contemporary dance right, company to another contemporary right because it's company. not so much the artistic vision that's being uh, uh, put under judgment as it is maybe the technique and yeah. sort of those specific moves and executing those yeah pretty much overall I think that you know I I still I still think that the choreography of Swan Lake and things like that are are I don't know, maybe a little bit more sophisticated sure, than, yeah. than um, what we saw with La Bayadere, but it was still an enjoyable night. The pantomime was not really the, the pantomime that they did was actually good. It wasn't it wasn't um, you know like overwrought and like lots of hands waving or anything. It was actually just like very deliberate and understandable and nice. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's okay. about that for the Bayadere. <laughs> Great. So, so then, then shifting over, perhaps uh, the night before that, mm-hmm. we went and saw uh, the last show of the Brian Webb season, yes. uh, which is Nancy Sandercock's uh, Frost Flowers slash Arctic Death Machine, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like the name of some crazy nor like two Norwegian metal bands. Yeah, I thought it was a band tour. I was super stoked to see <laughs> like to get into a sludge trance, which I did, and we'll get into in a bit. Um, but it starts off. I feel like I guess the first part of that that. The, the first side of that slash, the frost flowers, is sort of almost has a haunted house feel. Like right mm-hmm. from how you're brought into the space and led through it, it's different from other theater or dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what we went through? Yes. What were the spaces that we saw? So uh, everyone's in the lobby of, of the Tim Center in the second space. And uh, everyone's led into the space 10 at a time uh, through these sort of through side doors. You're led into a hallway. Uh, and when you get to go through, uh, there's sort of a, a, an abominable snowman type costume. I felt like it was some kind of duck, like a, like like a large snow like duck, duck. sans beak. Yeah. But sort of so <laughs> so sort of these like white uh, shraps of uh, shraps, uh, which is shrapnel and threads put together <laughs> of of just these sort of white uh, uh, fabrics hanging uh, on this figure who's sort of walking with their with their feet in in a boat in these sort of like two metal boats. And then you're led into rooms and it almost has a haunted house feel, mm-hmm. um, not in terms of tackiness, but in sense of like you're led into a room where where this sort of thing is happening, mm-hmm. where there's more of these figures. Yeah, there's a certain scene. They set the scene and then it changes a little bit to be creepy. Right. And then you yeah. move on to the next sort of thing. Sure. So you're sort mm-hmm. of guided through these these curtained rooms and these curtains are sort of laid out. So you're, you're not sure where exactly in the space you are. It had a, a, a wonderfully discombobulating mm-hmm. effect. And it was neat that you like you had to be led. You know, you yes. knew that you were supposed to sort of stop in a room, watch something happen, and then they would gesture and show you the way to the next room, which you never really knew was happening because it was curtains all around. So right. you didn't know where the door right. was anyway. Until finally mm-hmm. um, you're sort of brought into the center where the, where the seating is set up and you're sort of led to the actual seats of, of the show and then and then the second part of it begins mm-hmm. uh, Nancy uh, Sandercock is already there yes she's in the space and she's mm-hmm. knitting um she's knitting using sort of like kind of like a metallic Silver thread foil almost? Yeah. yeah yeah it's it, it's it seems soft enough that she could actually knit with but she's knitting this very long sort of cape or quilt right. of some Probably kind like the length of the stage mm-hmm. and she's sort of doing that and yeah then... and it's and it looks like I mean yeah she's just kind of knitting there and and then you know you see the characters that sort of that led you through the other rooms they all sort of file in and that's the part where like the the rooms that you were being led through all sort of like invoke this shipwreck feel now i know that you talked to nancy before the show and right, so it's you, based yeah. on the failed franklin expedition yeah yeah it's, it's based on uh, a failed franklin expedition so it's it's got that um so that's sort of its source material and i think some of the ideas behind it are about sort of the isolation and sort of the um, the loneliness of knowing uh, you're you're lost, effectively. 
Um, and and uh, yeah, those rooms sort of showcase that. One of the one of the sort of haunted housey rooms was a uh, was a was an actress in front of a diorama of a ship that was sort of like stuck in the ice, and she was sort of like deadpan <laughs> pouring salt on it, you know, and sort yeah. of gave that sense of unending, you know, in a very sort of funny, ironic way, unending winter and sort of being stuck. Um, and a lot of the the actual uh, sequences in in Arctic Death Machine, which which was sort of the next part of it, uh, seem to reflect that that same sense of isolation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the scenes that I like best of the whole the whole show, the whole night, was um, right after the sort of like salt uh, ship scene. Sure, yeah. Um, the same the same performer leads you into a second room, and there's no, it seems like there's nothing in that room until she turns on a small tape player and which is playing just basic static silence until you hear a little bit of a sonar like mm-hmm. a bloop um, and as soon as the sonar goes off a light goes on behind a curtain and you can see through a scrim in the room beside there's this cr- incredibly creepy character um, blindfolded and bandaged up and things like looks like they're playing some kind of Ouija board but just like crazy open mouth expression and you're just like oh that is scary like a haunted house <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah the metaphor is apt um, yeah. yeah and then and then into the dance it was sort of these um uh, they still kept playing with space. They would sort of add or subtract curtains depending on the piece. There were maybe five mm-hmm. or six uh, different pieces within within the actual dance where you were seated and watching mm-hmm. the the performance rather than being led. One of the things I really liked it was how they did use the curtains um, to make sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you and they did a lot of the dance in the darkness with flashlights. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. But they. They also used the curtains in a way to to just kind of like hide what was going on so you could hear footsteps and you saw small flashes of light and you heard this kind of like banging of the of the curtains and running it running along the rods and it really did feel that you were sort of like on a ship that was in the dark that was you know in some way in trouble right yeah and it sort of had this weird um some of the early sequences had sort of a, an almost magical uh, feel to what they were doing partly this huge thing nancy was knitting and that which was then rolled into a ball and and hung from from the rafters um and then there was also this this great sort of fascinating weird sequence which was all in the dark except flashlights that would click on and off and I believe Nancy was the one who was dancing at this point mm-hmm. but sort of this figure who would you'd get just a glimpse of moving in, in mm-hmm. just for a fragment sort of this dance yeah or, and it was completely silent music wise except you could hear her feet you could hear yeah. her rolling around and doing things on the stage but you would only see like glimpses of it every yeah. 10 seconds and or in, so. in sort of mm-hmm. keeping with that idea of isolation one thing I really uh, appreciated was that that use of, of natural sound of sort of like we're going to enter interact with our environment, whether it's the curtain rods to make that sort of um, like pulling metal sound or just the sounds of feet um, moving around the space rapidly, but not being able to see them. It's sort of all built into that idea of sort of isolation mm-hmm. and, 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 and yeah. Yeah. So you, you had mentioned something about sludge. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Sludge, a sludge think, trance. I, I want to get sludge into. Trance. I think that you should elaborate on that. What, sure. is, what is sludge trance? Well, well, we'll get there. We'll set the stage a little there. There's a moment as well after one of those early sequences when, when five dancers are, are on stage, all in different metal shirts. Brian Webb is in a, a, a mega death shirt <laughs> with no sleeves. Very, uh, awesome that that was the choice. Um, but then one of the dance pieces features a, a dancer, um, and, and here's where the score does come in. And it's just, uh, it's a shooting gun song, which is a Saskatoon metal band. Um, but it's sort of this sludgy, heavy, big riffs, but they're slow. It's not, it's not, um, fast metal, um, by any means. And the dancer is just sort of, um, 
really like uh, rock, I guess rocking out in slow motion might be a way mm-hmm. of, of, of imagining that. Um, but that's a thing. That's a thing in metal music called a sludge trance. When you're listening to sludgy metal music and you're super into it, uh, that's a sludge trance. And I felt like that that spoke to me as someone who loves to go to concerts and music. Um, and be sludgy. Uh, and, be, and often be <laughs> sludgy in, in both life and, and art. Um, I, to really get to, to see someone um, just sort of do that uh, that rock out um, to, in that way. And I feel like all of the pieces seem to be linked by a sense of isolation or a lot of them featured just one or two people. And the sense of, there was a sense of different ways you can lose yourself is, is mm-hmm. was sort of my interpretation of a lot of the show or, or my read. Um, and that one was felt very personable for me, um, but also was just um, really calm in how it was done. Even though the yeah. music was very heavy and big, um, the 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 sounds were enormous, but they were slow, mm-hmm. and and the movement really reflected that and captured that. And I'm thinking of the right solo. This is the Katrina where Katrina Smythe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It was. Th- I found this part of the dance mesmerizing. It was mm. this sort of just languid pleasure in in like this kind of really kind of like yeah drenchy sound you know? rock and roll my friend <laughs> yeah and she like and, and the movement in it you know like she's she's sustaining these very slow sort of rolls and things there's a lot of hair in the face in the whole dance as well um not just in katrina's part but mm-hmm. in a lot of it yeah. and we can talk about that a little bit more sure. too um because I think at one point it got to be a little bit much. Sure. But uh, the, so that one particular solo, I think, stood out for a lot of people. I was looking at some of the Facebook uh, messages and, and feedback after afterward, mm-hmm. and it was just something that, yeah, it was that very memorable to see her in that in that role, too. Um, and also, as, as a dancer that we've seen in Edmonton and a lot of other group stuff, it was kind of neat to see her um, on, on her own doing something so kind of different and interesting. Right. And I think it's also worth it to point out that Nancy is... A, metal drummer in a band of some oh, kind. Oh, cool. Hello. <laughs> um, sure. But I feel like um, one thing uh, sometimes we, we forget about or don't think about is the power of slowness. Often we sort mm-hmm. of showcase power through uh, sustained rapid movement or very quick movements or these sorts of things. But you can really convey an emotion um, and, and a sort of a sense and, and find and find that sort of mesmerizing sensibility in something that's very slow if mm-hmm. it's still big enough, yeah. which the sort of combined soundtrack and movement um, certainly was. Mm-hmm. There's something that was really comforting about, you know, just watching this kind of just like mm-hmm. kind of enjoy like and you you know the the character that she's playing or whatever seems to be enjoying it right so yeah. you know you enjoy it and you're comfortable and you're mm-hmm. hearing this and like it, sludgy <laughs> metal stuff yeah and it was paired sort of with with that very uh it was soon after that dance where where we were seeing nancy sort of jump around just for seconds or two with a flashlight so it was a very nice contrast as well mm-hmm. um yeah and then and then what else sort of uh stood out in the show there were there were there was a lot of humor in it i found yeah. too um i mean right off the top there is kind of the uh uh Brian Webb and the other uh, male dancer in the piece, they're they're in kind of like, you know, doing these sort of like very strong man positions. Right. They and come out with these sort of languid coats, almost like WWE wrestlers, mm-hmm. and they're sort of gesturing and kissing their their biceps, and then they wrestle. It's a yeah. really masculine Yeah, you know, and they're like fight. slapping each other and stuff. <laughs> you know, it was kind of interesting. And, um, you know, I guess we should point out that um, the very first podcast that sure, we ever did, Paul, I don't get it. Um, yeah. Was was a show with Brian Webb and Nancy Sandercock. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
how how did you feel about this show? Do you think that if you saw this show first, you know that you know, I feel like I, I would have had trouble with it as an introduction, which isn't to to speak on on the show itself, but I feel like um, if I think about um, the first shows we saw, um, and then to find something that was. Um, uh, in its way, very minimal, like these sort of sequences, whether they were um, sort of a dancer being illuminated very briefly with a flashlight or or sort of a long uh, sludge trance or, or other such things. Um, uh, I feel like maybe I would have checked out a little more. I sort of wouldn't... Uh, wouldn't have we were, I was talking about the importance of slowness and how mesmerizing mm-hmm. that can be. Um, I feel like that's also an acquired trait in audience is sort of being able to um, uh, enjoy something that isn't changing fast. Um, it is going through its own its own motions and its own movements, but um, all of the pieces in this show were were had were given a lot of time to sort of mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. through their their beats. I feel like. And so I feel like as someone, uh, if I'd been totally green to contemporary dance, um, that would have been more of a, a challenge for me. The sort of need um, to see more change or see uh, more, more, uh, yeah, change happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I uh, do rapidly. feel, I do feel that the the piece, especially getting closer to the end, asked a lot of patience sure. from the audience in in a way. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. feel like I. Uh, uh, the last couple um, segments, um, there was one that had these two two dancers, both sort of all in white, um, sort of uh, didn't feel like they added much to the overall piece. We sort of had a lot of variety through the, the first part after being led through this sort of haunted house scenario. And then we had a very quick dance, a very slow dance. Um, uh, this this sort of strange, beautiful, almost David Lynchy uh, juxtaposition of someone sort of uh, rolling their body while these these sort of like soul singers came out mm. slowly. And oh yeah, he had some crazy gyrations. Yeah, that guy. yeah, yeah. yeah. The, some sort of beautiful <laughs> body rolls that were just happening while these these other this sort of like total juxtaposition of something else. This choreographed um, three three women behind him, sort of slowly working their way to the middle of the stage, and then sort of like singing what what felt like a supreme song, mm-hmm. um, and then and then sort of slinking off. Uh, they all felt again sort of building on that idea of isolation in different ways. Um, uh, to to approach that, they all felt very clear and, and fully realized. And some of the last uh, the last pieces, particularly that white one, um, which might have been uh, had a sort of a contact improv-y feel to it, I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just didn't. It seemed like a bit of a retread. Like the music was again sludgy, but it wasn't given mm-hmm. that same focus. Um, it didn't yeah, have that same potency. But by that point, I felt like it's kind of like, okay, this is overstaying its welcome mm-hmm. a little bit. But then the way they ended it oh, was yeah. actually pretty fantastic. Terrifying. Um, <laughs> and so terrifying. They, yeah. So most of the, the cast assembles on stage with um, with flashlights and, and sort of light sticks. And sort of a beat comes in, and it's it's a dance. It's sort of like a cool, ravey dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start trying to pull people out of the audience, which is every audience member's worst fear, worst is somehow nightmare. being brought into the show. Um, but they, they succeed in pulling some people up, and then those people start to sort of, like, gesture to their friends to come. And you realize... There wasn't going to be a bow. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to dance your way out. The, of the only room. way to get like, out is to go through the dance. Right, floor. right. It's just like you got to do that. You got to do the dance. Which I once I realized that, um, I felt like the the panic of being an audience member involved was totally like relieved, and it was mm-hmm. just like, oh no, this is just yeah, this oh, is yeah. just the way out, and yeah. it's okay. Mm-hmm. We can we can all dance a little on our way out, and yeah. it's cool. We I'm can bob gonna... our heads and sidestep a little bit, and, yeah, and yeah. get the heck out of here. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but it was also like a really um, for such a an interesting and and. Uh, uh, challenging and uh, contemporary piece. It was really interesting to to skip the bow and instead sort of force the audience to um, uh, 
for something that seemed like so much about isolation and, and groups, small groups, to sort of join this big group thing on your way out to, mm-hmm. to society, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, yeah. And so, well, that was Frost Flowers mm-hmm. slash Arctic Death Machine. Yeah, which um, I would still go see at the Starlight Room as a cool metal bill, yeah, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel form. like we could start those bands. Yeah, <laughs> you pick one, I'll pick the other, and we'll, we'll meet. So, Paul, that's kind of, I mean, like, that is a very good, like, that's the majority of the season that's over. All that's really left is Next Fest. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, in terms of in terms of the the professional dance season happening in town, mm-hmm. uh, next fest, which is in June. Yes, um, next fest is June fifth to fifteenth. No, right. or fourth to fourteenth, something like that. It starts on the Thursday and ends on the Sunday right. of that week that I'm talking about. Right, so. and there's sort of like uh, it'll be a bit of a different next fest as as. Probably most people listening to this know. Um, yeah. Sort of the two mainstay Next Fest venues, the Roxy and. Um, and the Artery. Yes, the Artery. Uh, both, uh, both uh, one burned down and one, one was <laughs> and shuttered. One, and one shut down because yeah. it was dangerous. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's uh, arguable sure. how I, dangerous it really was. But um, anyway. Yeah. But anyway, so they're gone. So it's going to have a different shape, I think, the, mm-hmm. uh, the theater. But should be interesting and, and prove an interesting um, challenge to, to both the theater and the dance components of Next Fest. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we all, like, I, frankly, I really enjoy watching the dance at Next Fest. Um, it's curated by the Good Women Dance Collective. And We've seen a lot of great dancers come out of Next Fest over the last years, you know, like Aaron Tempest, like such great work. So, um, yeah, I think that that will be a fun thing. Check out the Next Fest website for that. And we'll come back with a year in review soon, probably. Yeah, somewhere around there we'll sort of talk about the the season in review. It always feels weird to call it a year in review because it it sort of straddles to two years, the end of 2014 and the start of 2015. But I feel like you're getting to a point now where you you saw saw a challenging show and you you had the you know you you, you had the the time and the and the thoughtfulness to to go through to like it and to like, not it. like it <laughs> sort of there were parts of it that stood out as great and, and parts i felt like i could differ in i could find reasons um other than like i didn't get it um to to sort of uh discuss um to discuss it i guess in the greater context i feel like we're coming full circle in a way yeah, we really did kinda, we really did kind of that's also kind of scary too. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, um, everyone, thank you again for listening. Also, we went to the Yeggies yesterday. We were nominated again this year. Thank you for that. But um, uh, kudos to After the House Lights, yeah. which took home the award in our arts and culture category. Right. This is a cool theater blog. Yes. And um, yeah, I guess I guess that's all we got for this time. So yeah. uh, thanks, everyone. Go watch some dance. Yep. Bye. <laughs> I Don't Get It is a podcast produced by Poglino, Fonda Mithrush, and Andrew Paul. It was recorded in a blanket fort in the Tall House on Alberta Avenue in Edmonton, Alberta. Our website is idontgetitdance.com. You can follow us on Twitter at I Don't Get It Dance, and you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Our theme song is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Follow his music and check him out at ghibli.bandcamp.com. Sitting here thinking.